last week we started, uh, I, I do have to say I'm very thankful, first of all, uh, because I had that, uh, I bought some gray gel for the play. I bought it on Amazon, and uh, when it came, it was two-day shipping, you know, so I've ordered things from China before, and it takes like two months to get here. So I figured with two-day shipping, it wouldn't be from China, but it was from China. It said in there, it said on the thing, made in PNC, or PRC, People's Republic of China, and the grammar was very iffy on the instructions. Like, words that didn't need to be capitalized were capitalized. Words that didn't make sense were in the instructions that you're like, that, that doesn't, that's not even, I don't even know what you mean by that. So I'm just thankful that I still have my hair this morning. <laughs> I thought, man, I'm going to get in the shower and it'll be like Nair. I'll just, it'll just start coming off in waves. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thankful for that. That has nothing to do with our lesson, but I just thought I'd share that this morning. Told you it'd be dangerous today. <laughs> but last week we started talking about, this is a season where we talk about, uh, you know, giving takes place in this November, uh, December time frame, you know, people's minds turn towards Thanksgiving and, and giving of gifts and all these kind of things. And so last week we looked at, uh, uh, the title of it was, uh, God so loved, he gave. And so this week we're going to, we're kind of doing a slow build over these three weeks and, and we're, we're building this foundation. Hopefully you'll see when we get to the end of it, uh, what we're building here, but uh, last week we talked about God so love he gave, and we started in John 3.16. Sorry, let me give you the title for this week so I don't mess them up up there. If, if, this week is God so loved, I give. God so loved, he gave. This week, God so loved, I give. And we started from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And last week we looked at some of the things that God has given us. And again, this, it is not possible to list everything that God gives us. Uh, but we looked at a few things last week. The first thing being that he gave us redemption. And I'm thankful that I had someone that was able to redeem my soul. He gave us a heritage. We looked at that, that I was, uh, I, I was without uh, a father and yet he adopted me. He called me his own. He gave me his name. And with that comes a whole host of things that now I am part of a different family that now I call him father. And we looked at tied with the heritage is that now because I am a part of that heritage spiritually, now I have an inheritance also. We know that the wages of sin is death, but that's not what I have now. Now I have an inheritance that's incorruptible and that is being kept for me. And I'm thankful that I have him with me right now, but I have something to look forward to as well. We looked at the fact that he gave us peace, that he broke down the middle wall. And, and, and we understand that this is speaking about salvation, but it also speaks, I believe, to our minds that he gave us peace in our life. Without Jesus Christ, I cannot find peace. But with him, I can have peace if I choose to walk in that path. That I don't have to allow the things of this world. I don't have to allow life. I don't have to allow the enemy to control me because Jesus Christ paid the price so that I could have peace. 
He also left us the promise of the Spirit, which is available to every person. He gave me the opportunity to not just uh, have His Spirit come upon me or to feel His Spirit occasionally, but I can have His Spirit in me and it can dwell inside of me. God so loved that He gave me His Spirit and He also gave me hope. We talked about if I, Paul says, if if I only had hope in this world, I would be of all men most miserable. But he gave me hope beyond the here and now. Even though he can give me peace now, even though he can give me joy now, he has given me hope for something uh, greater than just what this world can provide, just what this life can provide. And I know that is the hope of heaven. In Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, He that spare not his own son, or if we could paraphrase that, let's welcome the breakfast crew in as they're filtering in the back row there. I walked down the hallway this morning and smelled mashed potatoes and gravy and thought, not for breakfast too. No. It was soaked into the walls. Maybe it was my hair. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He that spare not his own son or that gave his own son, but he delivered him up for us. Okay, so he was willing to give his son. And if he was willing to do that, we Paul says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That just simply means if he was willing to give his son for you, if he was willing to give him for you, then what is healing to give to you? What is salvation? What is deliverance? What is provision? He's already given you the greatest thing that he had. All of these are, in our eyes, in our circumstance, that bill's real important. My healing's real It's a big thing, and I understand that in our circumstance, but he's already given his son. How much more freely will he give of these things that are not his only if he was willing to do that? And then we saw his motivation for giving, which is where we got God so loved he gave. His motivation for giving we find in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The motivation for his giving was love, was love for you and I. And this is important to remember as we go on, the best way that God felt he could express the love that he had for you and I was to give. He so loved He so loved. There was so much love inside of him that the only way he could express that adequately was to give. And he gave something unique, something that was only. He gave his son. But he loved so much that this was the only way that he could express what he felt. And we see Jesus comes to this earth as we're in that season where we celebrate that now. And we see the example of Jesus while he's on this earth continuing in this same vein when he came to this earth it was with giving in mind yes i know redemption he was here to give redemption he was here for all but giving is why he was here god so loved that he gave his son and so jesus was here because of giving and giving was in his mind we find this idea continuing as jesus walked on this earth matthew chapter 8 verse 20 and jesus saith unto him the foxes have holes And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. It says not where. I thought it was a typo. Guess not. Has not where to lay his head. I'll say it correctly. So we see that Jesus says, I I don't have a home. I don't have a place. And so when Jesus came, he gave of his comfort. 
he gave of his security when he came to this earth. He said, I don't have any place to call home. I don't have any place to lay my head. He was willing to give that while he was on this earth. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We find that not only did he give his comfort and his security, but he also gave of his reputation. How many of you want to have a good reputation? Some people say your reputation is all you have. And he was willing to give of his reputation. Now, there's not too many of us that would willingly give of our reputation. We would put up a fight because that's, that's what your, your character, what you have, your reputation, how people know you. You want people to think well of you. I know we all say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Well, you do care. That's why you said that. You want people to think that you're independent and don't care. Or else you wouldn't have said it. You would have just kept your mouth shut. Anyway. But he gave of his reputation. He said, I am willing for people to talk ill of me and not defend myself. I'm willing to, to, to have all kinds of things happen to me and not defend myself. And he made, that's the amazing thing. He made himself of no reputation. He had to, to go from divine to human, to have that any of humanity in him. Now, it's one thing to lose your reputation, but he made himself of no reputation. He chose to lose his reputation. That's how much he loves us. That's how much that he gave. He, he came and had no security, no comfort, and he gave of his reputation. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now this is speaking both spiritually, and, and, and I'm not going to get into a prosperity gospel, but I believe there's a spiritual and a natural component to it as well. That he was not rich on this earth, he was not wealthy on this earth, and of course leaving heaven to come to earth, of course, is making yourself more poor spiritually. That's not a, a really that great of a trade-off, but he did that for us. He gave of those things. He gave of the things that were valuable for you and I. Jesus came and he gave his reputation. He gave his comfort. He gave convenience. He gave and was willing to endure shame. He gave of his wealth. And of course, we know that he ultimately gave of his very life. And what does the verse say? Greater love hath no man than this. Greater love. Why did he give? He gave because he loved. God so loved that he gave. To accomplish the mission that he was sent to do, to accomplish the mission of love for humanity, to accomplish the mission of redemption of mankind, he had to give to accomplish that mission. Jesus could not have accomplished salvation without giving. We, think, we, we know it was just his life, but there was so much more that he had to give as well. Jesus could not exemplify that his very character was love without giving. 
He gave of his time. He gave of his energy. He gave of his effort. It was the very expression of love. And love required that he had to give. The mission could not be accomplished outside of giving. So in scripture, we have the example of God. We have the example of Jesus when he came to this earth. And so then you and I are presented with a challenge in scripture. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now that's a verse you may have heard before. And again, that's a verse that we might call familiar. Wow, that's a tough verse. You're supposed to have the same mind as Jesus. Wow. Let's just see if we've accomplished that this morning. (laughs) That's a rough one. When you think of all that Jesus did, all that he was, his character... Let the same mind be in you. Now, I I know Scripture is supposed to be taken as a whole. We don't take passages apart. So this verse ties in with more than just the specific thing that it's talking about. And we already read that he made himself of no reputation. That's found in the same passage. But we've been talking about the mind that Jesus Christ had. The reason that Jesus was even here was because of what God thought. And he thought, I love mankind so much that I'm going to give my son. Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth to accomplish the mission, he had to give. So I think it's fair to say that when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that part of that is giving. You must have giving as part of your mindset because it was in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him, speaking of God, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. We know that when Jesus walked, giving was in the forefront of his mind. Now, I just want to be very clear that I am not simply, and if you haven't caught it, I'm not just talking about money and I'm not going to hand out cards and do a capital campaign at the end of Sunday school lesson, okay? This is so much more than just money because we don't find a whole lot of instances where Jesus is handing out checks to people, okay? But to say he didn't give... No, but John tells us if you abide in him, he that saith he abideth in him, and here's where it comes, should also walk as he walked. Now, we know that. We've adapted that. You got to walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. We already know that love is not really love unless there is a fruit of it. There has to be something there. And so the fruit that we see of God's love was giving. And so he says, if you want to abide in him, he that saith, he that says, I love the Lord, he that says all of those things, no, you've got to walk the walk that Jesus did as well. John 13, 15, Jesus says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, this is speaking in reference to when he's washing their feet. And again, this is him making himself of no reputation. This is him giving towards others. And he says, I've given you this as an example. This giving that I have demonstrated to you is an example. And you need to do as I have done. Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28. But it shall not be so among you. So this is the disciples arguing about who's going to sit at the right hand of of Christ. Because that's the real important stuff. 
But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your master, minister. So that was a little mixed up. Let him be your minister. My bifocals messed up. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That last verse, his whole life was was not about being ministered unto, but to minister his whole life. Now, let me just ask us, what would just church, how would just Sunday change if that was our attitude? I'm not talking about our whole life, because that's, that's real big there. Let's just bring it down to a few hours in the, in the week. Let's just say, even as the son of, came, son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, do that a few hours a week. How would Sunday change if I came to church to minister? Now, we're told our life should be that. That that gets a little bit difficult. But that's what Jesus came to do. He came to minister. He came to give. Let this mind be in you. You see, it's really in our minds. Because our mindset has to change. I mean, that's, that's how we pray. And I think we should pray that people get what they need. But how many times do I come to church and say, Lord, give me what I need? And that's, I'm not saying you don't ever, because we, church is about receiving as well. Getting something we can't get anywhere else, hearing the word, that it, it's all a component. But what if my primary was, Lord, I've come to minister, and if you want to give me something, that's fine, but I'm happy just ministering to you today ministering to somebody today sometimes we get so focused on what we need we forget how much we have and what we could give and where where's all that taking place in my in my finger is it take maybe in your heart but a lot of it's in your mind let this mind be in you that's what Jesus' mindset was. When he came to a crowd, when there was people there, I believe Jesus' mindset was not, now what can I get out of this? It was, what can I give? So how, does that, how would that just change if, if we came and said, Lord, I'm going to minister today, and if you want to minister to me, that's just an added benefit. Instead of saying, Lord, minister to me, and if you use me, that's an added benefit. No, I want to be used by God every single week, every time I'm in church. Okay, this is why it's important that you have a walk with God (laughs) outside of Sunday morning. I don't know if you've ever made this correlation. Sometimes the reason I always need something at church is because I haven't got anything from them all week. If I get something from them on Friday morning when I'm reading my Bible before I go to work and have 30 minutes of prayer and reading my Bible and God speaks to me, that might be enough so I can show up at church and and I'm not so concerned about what I need and I realize God's already given me something I can give to somebody else. Now imagine if that happened every day. That's why you must have a walk with God. You can't come to church and minister if you don't have a walk with God. You're all, you will always come needing. 
That's why Jesus left the crowd so many times, went up into the mountains or wherever he went and, and refreshed himself because even the, even the God on earth wrapped in flesh needed to get away and recharge and receive something outside of the crowd so he could minister when the crowd was there. That's not showmanship, that's ministry. Getting what you need on your own. We'll talk about that next week, about maturity. Maturity, getting what you need on your own. Maturity, sorry, saying that British. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, And walk in love, as, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. savor. And walk in love. If you want to walk by people that work, and then smell something good, walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us. As he walked, you will be a sweet-smelling savor. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So we know the motivation for why Jesus even was born in Bethlehem. It was because of love, and the outworking of that love was giving. We know that when Jesus Christ was here on this earth, that he gave. We know that Jesus himself said, and many other authors said, that, that Jesus was an example, and the example that he was, I am supposed to follow. We have all of this, and his, his example that he left us was a legacy and a lifetime of love, and that was demonstrated to you and I by giving. And we are challenged to be as he was, to pattern our lives after him. He is love, and love is defined by giving. So how must my life, my love, be defined? It's not a trick question by my giving. Now think about that for a moment. We like to deal in intangibles, right? I don't, I'll have to admit this. Um, one of this, I don't know why. I didn't grow up watching American football. I don't, I don't have a team that I support. I don't, the NFL just, I said American football because that's what it was called because there's only one football and that's the sport where you actually use your feet. <laughs> I'm going to play football with my hands. And well, that's a little confusing. Anyway, so. <laughs> and a punter's not really a football player. I mean, everyone can agree on that. Now, but the one day I really enjoy, and this is just one of those, another one of those quirks of my personality. I, I can't even define what it is I, I'm enthralled by. But there's, there's a day when all the college players are picked by NFL teams. It's called draft day. And it's a huge production. It now takes place over three days. It's, it's hours long. There's seven rounds. I love draft day. I mean, I love it. I can't, but I could sit there for three days in front of the TV watching that. I, I don't know what it is about it. I just love draft day. It's just... It's just people getting rich real quick as they're picked. That's all it is. 
but they always, they've got all the stats there, you know, because as each player's pick, they throw up all this stuff and they put up all their stats from college and they talk about the, the draft grade and they give them a, you know, the team, whether they fit the team and all this stuff. And then there's certain players, they talk about their intangibles, their drive. You can't measure drive. You can't, you can't measure toughness. You can't measure. These are all the intangibles, the things that you can't put a stat on. So you, they go through interviews, they do all this stuff for teams to try and determine how great their intangibles are. And intangibles it, it is an easy thing to, well, you can't put a stat on it. And, and in Christianity, we have a lot of things that we have put as intangibles. You can't really measure that. You can't really say how much, you can't really define. Of course, then we start throwing in all the verses about judging lest you be judged and, and all of these things. We combine them all and we just kind of wash over a lot of things. But there's a very strong principle in scripture that what's inside will come out. <laughs> and what's inside will bear fruit. And scripture is very clear that you can judge a tree by its fruit. And if a tree is dead, it won't have fruit. And if a tree is alive, it will have fruit. And so while I would like my love for people and for God to be an intangible, because who are you to judge how much I can love? There is a way to judge my love by my fruit. And the fruit of love is giving. How much do I give? And again, I'm not talking about money. <laughs> I think it's... I think we can draw a line that we can tell, and we're not, don't worry, we're not, we're not going to go around the room and have each person stand, that's not what we're doing. But I think there's a very clear line that we can draw that we can tell how much you love God if we look at how much you give. And again, I'm not just talking about your money. If all I do is come to church and sit for a few hours a week and then leave, and you say you love God, I don't think it's, too far from scripture to say there might there where's where's the fruit and if you have fruit show it because fruit will show itself you don't hide fruit <laughs> now well anyway oh, that's a stupid story on a side tangent well we see this defining passage contained in john's epistle first john four beginning in verse seven and this is Remember a while ago I sang a song in Sunday school? Those scripture songs? Here's another one. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. I'm not going to sing it today. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, stop. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now again, these are passages that you may have sung before even. Passages that are familiar, but very powerful. First of all, love is a characteristic of God. Let us love, 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 love for love is of God. Love is of God. Love is a characteristic of God. And it says, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The only way to know that divine love is to be born of God. Now you can, obviously... Obviously, if you don't know God, you can still feel his love and his love can pull you into a greater experience. But if you want to live in that love, you must be born of God. 
You can't just do whatever you want and just feel them every so often. No, if you want to walk in that love, you must be born of God. We understand that. And the only way to know God is through that love. Okay? We heard a great message last week, don't forget Christmas. That, that's simply defined in this verse. They knew all about God, okay? but they were not born of God. And so they couldn't really know God. They knew about him, but they didn't know him. Okay? So if you want to know who God is, there's one way to do that. Be born of him and begin to experience his love. And the way you experience his love is by experiencing what he gave. Salvation. Okay? Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If you don't, if you don't love... You cannot know God. I, I don't know how else to say that. That's a pretty simple, definitive statement. If you don't love, you don't know God. Okay? I, I, you ever say, you know, if, well, anyway. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. So, here's the example. If you want to know love and, and the definition of love, and, and of course it's going to come as no surprise, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is basically what he's written before in his gospel paraphrased. He said, here's how you know God's love towards you. Because he sent his son to you. He gave his son. Okay? How do you know that God loves you? Because he thought it in his mind. And again, I know God is a spirit, but we're just putting these human terms on it so we can understand. Because God thought it in his mind... How would you know what God is thinking in heaven that's a spirit? How would you know? How would you know that God loves you? He gave. How, how do you know that, the, that, that the, person, the people in your life that love you, how do they know that they love you? They say something. They give you words that demonstrate that. They give you actions that demonstrate that. They hug you. They give. We all know that a relationship doesn't work if you just say, I love you in my head and never do anything about it. It doesn't work. There must be giving. There has to be fruit of that love. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And we touched on this a little bit last week. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The demonstration of love is that Christ loved you and I not that you love God. Not that you say you love God. That's not the demonstration of love. Love is God loving you. Why? Because you did not deserve his love. Think about your life. It doesn't matter how bad it was. There was nothing in you that deserved the creator of the universe to look down and say, I'm going to touch their life. I'm going to send my only begotten son, the only one that I have unique by itself to die for you. What did you ever do to deserve that? That's love. Not when I come to church and lift that, that it's, it's a form, but that's not the very definition of love because when I come to church and lift my hands and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm thanking him for what he did. I, he deserves my love. He deserves what I have to offer him. <laughs> so I should never be able to come to church and not respond to him because he deserves everything that I can give. Because he loved me so much when I didn't deserve it. 
It's, that is what is defined as agape love, undeserved love <clears throat> that he showed for me. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we, also, we ought also to love one another. And here's the title, God so loved, I love. Because if God so loved me, if God loved me when I did not deserve it at all, if he so loved, then I should give also. I should love also. See, this is where, so, so love, the fruit is, is, is giving. He said, I love, so I gave. And if I so loved, John says, if he so loved us, then I should also so love, which means I should give. And of course, we know he deserves it. So how do I demonstrate his love? Who do I give to? Look around you. It's how I give. <laughs> I won't tell you to look at the person around you that doesn't deserve you love. <laughs> but there's probably people in here that don't. You can probably think of a few people in your life that don't deserve your love for a number of reasons. But if you can give to them, then that's really loving. God so loved, I should give. You see, this is the starting primary motivation. My giving to somebody else, is. this is what John's saying, my giving to somebody else has nothing to do with them and everything to do with what God has done for me. Let this mind be in you. <laughs> Jesus didn't ever walk up to somebody that needed something from him and ask for why he should give them that. That didn't enter into the equation. Do you know how many people God did miracles for that really if we were to sit down and look at it, they really didn't deserve it. Now there's some people that were born certain ways and they can't help that stuff, but there's some dumb fools in scripture too. They got everything they deserved and God still did stuff for them. And it had nothing to do with how good or how bad that person was, but it has everything to do with how good God is. So here's the simple thing. If God's been good to you, it doesn't matter about the people around you. You need to give to them because he's been so good to you. Amen. That makes it easier to give. Because <laughs> sometimes we give and it's through clenched teeth. We'll do it... <laughs> We won't talk about cheerful giving. We're just trying to get to the giving. Yeah. But our starting point, if I'm having trouble giving, I need to realize I'm doing it because of him, not because of the person. When love is present, it's, uh, sorry, verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. Nobody's seen God. But if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. When love is present, which is demonstrated by my giving, God dwells in us and love becomes perfected. And we won't continue on to it, but that passage goes on to say later, perfect love casts out all fear. I'll just throw this in. Maybe you don't have a fear issue. Maybe you have a love issue. Maybe the reason you're up all night thinking about stuff is because you're not giving. 
James 2.18. Yay. Everyone say yay. A man may say, just the men, this is what men say, not women. Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me the money. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. You say you got faith? All right, prove it. Until you prove it, all you got is words. All right, you love? Prove it, give. Until you give, man, it's just words to me. Based on what we've looked at last week and this week, I think we can say that love without a visible sign, and based on what John says, John says faith without works is dead. That means it's not alive. It's not breathing. If it's not alive and breathing, it's not faith. A human that is not alive and breathing cannot now be classified as a human. They've passed on. They have no characteristics of any living thing. Faith without works, he says, is the same thing. It has no characteristics of anything alive. So I think we can say that love without a visible sign isn't really love. Now, I know we can go the other way on this because this is, this is kind of a, a campaign of the left against the right right now with school shootings and, and, and victims of natural disasters and all of this stuff. I know there's a campaign of anti-Christian and Christian but there is a little bit of truth to it in what James says. When people say, you know, about school shootings, uh, you know, your thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need laws passed. That's what it's going to. Quit sending your thoughts and prayers. You know what? I, we're not going to get into a political debate, but uh, bringing it back to this, that idea, sometimes our thoughts and prayers are a cop-out. I'm not talking about guns right now, so just chill out. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying sometimes we say thoughts and prayers. James says in that passage when he's talking there, he says you see someone that's cold, they come to church and they're cold and they leave and you say, oh, I pray you stay warm. Why don't you give them a coat is what he says. Someone comes to church hungry and you say, boy, I'm going to pray God fills your belly. Faith without works is dead. Thoughts and prayers, sometimes I, I'm not going against prayer. Don't, don't. But sometimes prayer is a powerful weapon. Let me just say, sometimes we cheapen prayer by making it our default instead of actually doing something. And we diminish the power of prayer. Because how many times can you tweet thoughts and prayers and you don't really pray and you're barely thinking about it and it causes people to think nothing is powerful about prayer? I think that gray stuff's gotten to my head or something, that gray gel. God looking down on humanity and saying, oh, I'm sending my thoughts and prayers, didn't redeem us. No, it redeemed us when he gave. It took him giving out of his love to transform my life, and it might take the same thing for me to do to someone else. If God so loved that he gave, then I should allow his love to affect me so much, it brings forth the same fruit in me. God so loved, I give. Matthew 22, verse 36. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He says, and the second is like unto it. That means it is similar or corresponding. Correspond means to be in agreement or equivalent. I do not think that these are two different laws. I don't think you can have one without the other. I don't think you can love your neighbor without loving God first. 
And I don't think you can love God without loving your neighbor. And on these two hang all the prophets. Jesus said, you've got to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, and here's how you're going to prove it. Here's the fruit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know John, he's talking about brethren and beloved and all these wonderful words that we can talk about. But who does Jesus say is my neighbor? Who then is my neighbor? And here we have the story of the Good Samaritan. The person that you like the least is your neighbor. And it may be your neighbor. Hopefully not right now. I think one is the, if we could paraphrase it a little, I think one is the commandment and the other is the how. How do I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Love my neighbor as myself. This would be similar to what John states in his epistle about not knowing God unless you know others. The fruit of love must be demonstrated. So if I could measure my love by what I'm giving, how much do I love God? How much do I love God? When I begin to think of my walk with God less in those intangibles of, and I'm saying it in the way that society is using it in the thoughts and prayers. When I begin to think of my walk less in, God, less, less in those intangibles and realize that scripture gives me quantifiable measurables for some of these things, then it starts hitting a little bit too close to home. Because it's a whole lot easier for me to say I love God than it is for me to take an inventory of my life and say, how do I love God? How am I demonstrating my love for God? It's easy for me to say, yes, I have faith, and yet there's no demonstration of my faith. It's easy for me to say I have peace and then I'm always in in anxious moments, can't sleep at night. No, when I begin to look at the fruit of of what should be happening, then it begins to change things. And I finish up with this passage in Revelation. And we're going to build on this next week. Revelation chapter 3. This is speaking of the church of Laodicea. The last of the seven churches that uh, God speaks to John in a vision. This is the last of the churches he speaks to. And it says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot or cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. And he with me, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now there's much that can be said about this passage. Some people feel that the church of Laodicea represents the the world, the church age, right before the Lord returns. And I think we can find our culture and even perhaps much of Christianity found in verses 17 and 18. You say you're rich and increased with goods, and you're not. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, blind, and naked. I think our culture reflects that. Never has there been a wealthier society, and yet we have such an immoral, amoral society. We need our eyes anointed with eye salve is what we need. 
But I want to point out two things specifically. The first, the first is that the church was judged somehow. Somehow. In verse 16 tells us how. Notice this is not man judging the church. What's the verse? Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Okay? Intangibles. But in this, in this passage, the church is judged. In verse 16 tells us how God judges the church. He says, I know thy works. Oh, I know what you say. I know what you say is in your heart. But let me just talk about your works for a moment. And here's what your works tell me, what you're giving, what you're doing. They tell me you're not hot or cold. And your works tell me that I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. No mention of the heart. None. No mention of, the, of what's going on inside, of what you feel. No. He says, I know your works. And your works tell me what's going on inside. Do we really think going on down here that they think that they've, they're, they're rich now, but they're really... We know that, that their works are representing a spiritual condition, that they are lukewarm spiritually. But how does God say, I know you're lukewarm spiritually? He says, I know because of your works, of what you are giving. Your demonstration of love is lukewarm. I know that. Now that's God judging. I only thought he looked at my heart, at the secret things. He doesn't look at what I'm actually doing. That doesn't matter, right? Their works were the fruit, and their fruit told God all he needed to know about their heart. Oh, man, that's not any good. I don't like that. Because I like to say there's seasons, and I believe there are, but that becomes another intangible. How long can I, I'll just say it real plain. How long can you go in the season of not bearing fruit? before you realize it's not just a season how long can your love go without producing fruit before it's you you just come to the grips that that's really how much i love god it has nothing to do with the season now i don't like those questions on sunday morning don't like that they they said they love god but their work showed that they were lukewarm on that subject oh they like church the second thing I'm struck by is in verse 20. Yeah, I'll be done. We often use this verse. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When I say that, what comes to your mind? When it comes to my mind, I always think of a dirty, rotten, filthy, far from God sinner. And Jesus is standing at the door knocking like in the painting. If you've ever seen it. He's standing at the door knocking and that sinner won't open their heart. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, oh, that was written to the church of Laodicea. Wow. Now, I want you to get that image. That Jesus Christ is standing on the outside of the church doors knocking, saying, let me in. Wow. Wow. And what does it all start with? It says, I know your works. Your works have told me. What you're giving, what you're doing, have told me that I'm on the outside. Your words say I'm on the inside, but your actions have kicked me out the door. Oh, that's, 
I wonder in my life how many times he's been knocking not on some sinner's door, but he's been trying to knock on my door. Here I thought it was everyone else. And I, th- I just thought it was an echo from down the hallway of another door he's knocking. No, he was knocking on my heart's door saying, hey, I've come by and I've seen your fruit. Oh, I know what you do sitting over there lifting your hands and clapping. I, I, I know all that. I know all the words that you, you've said, but I've come by and checked your fruit. And I see that you said you love me, but I don't really see any outflow of that love. I know you said you've got joy, but man, I don't really see any outflow of that. I know you say you have those things, but I don't really see it. And I'm knocking at your door. And the problem is the whole time, the same problem here. You think you're this, but I'm here to tell you you're really this. I wonder how many times spiritually I thought, man, whew. I'm increased with goods today. Man, it's all going good. Everything's fine. And he comes by knocking and says, you know what? You're really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It's in those moments that I have a choice. And I always want my choice to be, Lord, anoint my eyes so I can see. Sometimes I just feel a real conviction Not because of my words, but when I stop and look at my works. Honest personal evaluation is a hard thing to do. Rationalization is easy. You can come up with 55 bajillion, whatever number our kids argue about, what's really a number. You can come up with that many reasons of why you can't. But when he comes by to inspect the fruit, are they going to be valid? I wonder how many of us God is standing at the door knocking. And I I close with this. I realize that the text doesn't explicitly support this, but I'm going to put it in the context of us. I wonder how, I wonder if revival is standing at our door knocking. It's heard my words about revival, it's heard me say I want revival. But when revival knocks on my door and says, oh, I know what you've said, but here's what I'm going to have to give for it. And I see that there's no fruit there. Perhaps it's my door that it's knocking on. But I challenge you, if you open the door to him, if you open the door to revival, if you open the door to Jesus Christ, things will happen in your life that you never believed were possible. And I'm going to just give you one last caution as we close. You can go ahead and stand because this caution will knock you off your feet. No. (laughs) Do not, do not pray the prayer, Lord, anoint my eyes that I can see unless you really want to see. And I'm serious. And there's people in here that you know, you've prayed that prayer, and unfortunately, God showed you. <laughs> and let me just say, if it, was, if it was something blatantly obvious, you probably would have already seen it. You know, I always use the axe murderer as my example. If I was out killing people with an axe, I could probably point out that's the area of my life I need to change. 
pretty obvious because the blade's getting dull. But usually when I ask for the eye salve and the anointing, it's areas that, first of all, I've never seen before or areas I know I should and I don't want to. (laughs) Those are the things I'll be answering for. So don't pray that prayer unless you really want God to show you something in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, I pray that your word would find its mark, Lord.